Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. In recent weeks, we've really focused on some ways that listeners can boost their income. Uh, so whether that's through starting your own side business and growing your network like Hala talked about, or when we talked with local realtor Alan about diving into investing in real estate, well, what better way to test the waters? While you are away, your home could also earn extra income. That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides and seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking FAFSA hacks to curb college costs with the FAFSA guru. Right. We are excited to be discussing the free application for federal student aid today, <laughs> uh, also known as the FAFSA, uh, because other than the, the cost of a hospital visit, nothing has skyrocketed in price like college tuition and fees over the past 20 years. So you think your house or your new car is crazy expensive? Nope. You just wait until your kids start looking at colleges. Uh, and that's why we're excited to be joined by Tina Steele, who is known as the FAFSA guru. Tina is an expert when it comes to financial aid. She has decades of experience, and that's whether she was working directly for public uh, and private universities, whether she was leading a, like a statewide initiative in Maine, helping disadvantaged students to pursue college, or just creating incredibly valuable videos for her YouTube channel. We're going to be discussing all things FAFSA today. So Tina, thank you for coming on the How to Money podcast. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, no, we're excited to chat with you as well, Tina. Lot, lots to cover on the show, but the first question we have to ask you, that we ask anybody who comes on the show, is what your craft beer equivalent is, and that's 
is Matt and I, we like to drink fancy craft beers while also saving and investing wisely for the future. What's that for you? What's your kind of <laughs> splurge while you're also handling your money properly? Oh gosh, I'm a Christmas fanatic. I am over the top uh, with Christmas, everything Christmas, decorations, Ooh. gifts, gifts for the um, delivery drivers. We have a big family gathering on Christmas Eve of 20 to 25 people and we get matching nice. t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. Oh, matching t I love it. Wait, you, you do matching t-shirts every year or we is it like... do. Yeah, I usually do something different every year. Last year was matching t-shirts. This year I'm trying to figure out what it's going to be, but there's usually some kind of theme and everybody gets a gift. So, so I just, I love Christmas. Awesome. So you do yeah. Christmas the way a lot of people do Disney, basically. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is a great way to com compare it, for sure. That's awesome. It's always fun to kind of hear what it is that folks like to splurge on. And honestly, the... I'm not going to say that your splurge in this case is wacky because we, you know, we put out some, we put out some, some Christmas decorations, but uh, <laughs> it's unique, which I love. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Tina, can you, can you give us, I guess, just an, a general overview as to why it is the FAFSA is so important? Let's kind of just ease folks sure. into the whole conversation and just talk about the merits of the FAFSA. Sure. Yeah. So the FAFSA is important first and foremost so that students can access federal and state financial aid and some institutional aid depending on the college in order to help them pay for their education. So a lot of people, you know, when they think about FAFSA, they might think they might not even realize the importance of it or they don't understand financial aid or maybe on the other side of that, they think they might not qualify for enough financial aid. So I tell everybody, every single person that plans on going to college should fill out a FAFSA unless, of course, they have like several hundred thousand dollars sitting in an account earmarked specifically for college. Okay. All right. So uh, we're going to ask a ton of follow up questions, some of which will <laughs> okay. probably sound a little dumb. Because uh, and you, you're the FAFSA guru, so for you, you're, these are going to be like knock them out of the ballpark sort of questions. But for for most people, because it's one of those infrequent things, right? It's not like you're sending a kid off to college every year for 30 years or something like that. Like, and you get used to it and you figure it out. It, it feels brand new, I think, for most people every single time. It's like for the infrequent traveler, the trying to get to the airport. How do I time it? And when do I get there? And how does security work again? <laughs> That's how a lot of people feel if you only travel every five years. So um, like, okay, do, do you have to know which colleges you're applying to before you fill out the FAFSA? No, no. So you need to have at least one college listed on the FAFSA when you fill it out and submit it. And you're ideally, you, you're filling out the FAFSA probably simultaneously as you're applying for admission for college or even before. So you do not have to know. You can log back in at any time and add college colleges to the FAFSA once it's submitted. But just for that first initial submission, you need to have at least one listed. Nice. And it doesn't really matter which one you select. I'm, it doesn't. I'm assuming most people choose whatever popular state school that they know there's a maybe a high chance of their kid getting into. I choose or, Harvard, right. Matt, personally. <laughs> or can you do that? Or can, <laughs> can you choose like the most elite? It, it truly doesn't matter. And you can do up to nope. 20? You can this year, starting with the 24-25 year, it, it's going to be 20. It's always been 10. So um, yeah, you can go up to 20, but some students apply for even more. So you just submit it to the 20 colleges and then log back in once it's processed, delete some colleges and add some more if nice. you have more than 20. Nice, makes sense. It's kind of like if you're gonna go out to eat. It's like, well, I don't know exactly where we're gonna go, but step one, we gotta get in the car and just start right. heading out of the neighborhood. <laughs> yes, it, yes. Nice. Sure. Okay, well, so talk to us then about some of the recent FAFSA changes. Let's talk about the FAFSA Simplification Act. Yeah. Um, and like one of the changes they made had to do with the actual 
form that that you, that you can that you yes. fill out in the past it was kind of lengthy it was kind of tedious talk about some of the changes they made there sure it's it's always been very tedious so one of the the big reasons for fafsa simplification is to make it easier to fill out currently there's 108 questions on the fafsa with this new simplification process it's going down to just 38 questions which is really going to be significant and a time saver there's a lot of things a lot of um, changes happening you know they're expanding pell grant eligibility pell grant is the free grant the government offers for families under a certain amount of money. Typically, that's been, you know, families or students who make less than $50,000 a year. That's being expanded to $60,000 a year for the for 24-25. There's also another really big change happening. You know, if you're familiar with the FAFSA or financial aid, you've heard of the expected family contribution or EFC. This is the number that the government comes up with when they perform their federal methodology and um, process the FAFSA. This is the technically the amount of money that a student is expected to contribute towards their education for the year. They are changing the EFC to what's going to be called the Student Aid Index or the SAI. And the reason for this is because there's been a lot of confusion when families get this EFC. They think that that's the exact amount of money that they have to pay for the year and that is not necessarily the case in a lot of cases it could be more and in some cases it could be less so they're gotcha. really trying to alleviate some confusion uh, around that and and then one really big change happening um, that's that's not the best change is going is for families who have multiple children in college they're no longer going to get the same financial benefit that they always yeah. have yeah, that seemed like a big downer. That's a bummer for yeah. uh, so Joel's, Joel's folks got three, triplets. Yeah, Joel's got three kids. Yeah. I've got four kids, and there's a good chance there's going to be a decent amount of overlap yeah. as those kids are going to be in college. Can you yeah, explain? I guess how it how it used to work, yeah. and then now given the changes, what that means. Sure. For us. So I'm going to talk about the EFC because that's what it's been all along. So normally, when you have more than one child in college, that EFC gets divided equally among the number of children in college. So and you know if you have a $20,000 EFC, but two kids in college, each student would have a $10,000 EFC. So the lower that number, the more financial aid that the student's going to get. So that's where that's not going to happen. The student, the student, if you have two or three students in college and your EFC is twenty thousand, it's going to be twenty thousand dollars for each student. For each kid, yeah, rather so, than the entire household. Yeah. So uh. it, it is. It is a bummer. It's one of those changes that I'm not thrilled about. However, it's going to be very, very important that families who have more than one child in college actually appeal their financial aid offers. Mm. Yeah, so I was going to say yeah. that doesn't that EFC or now the student aid index when that number gets spit out that doesn't necessarily that, that's not your bill that's not what you pay right like that's no. just, tell us how that number relates to what you end up paying though sure so when the when you get that number what the college does is they take their total cost of attendance so their cost of attendance would be tuition fees room and board books and supplies the all-in cost so let's say the college is sixty thousand dollars a year it's a private college they're going to take your efc and and let's say for example it's thirty thousand dollars just for a number they they subtract the efc from the cost of attendance to come up with a student's financial need so in this scenario the student's financial need would be thirty thousand dollars then they try to package the student with as much need-based aid as possible to meet that financial need so it's a really big part of the equation you know the higher that number the lower need-based financial aid the student qualifies for or the gotcha. less yep. yeah the and less. again 
a massive bummer for us it <laughs> who, is. who have multiple kids. And I mean, you've got a bunch of kids too. I'm I sure, do. Yeah. I'm sure you <laughs> you were yep. very excited well, we, to hear that news. We were joking before we started that uh, Tina, that you <laughs> st- started your service basically as a personal endeavor to save as much money on college. Yeah. Six kids total, six. like that'll do it, right? Yeah, six kids. And you know, I our youngest one is a high school senior right now, so she's the last of them. I mean, I have had the benefit of having multiple children in college and kind of. Also, you know, being on the other side of this, knowing, you know, what to do and how to really maximize financial aid, but it's still expensive. College is astronomically expensive. Did I see that there's a change when it came to a child who, or a a scholar, a future student who's applying to a school that comes from a divorced home? how does that work out as far as who has to fill out the FAFSA? Yep, yep that's another big change. So uh, currently, when you fill out the FAFSA this, and you have a divorced or separated parent situation, as long as the parents are living in separate household, uh, in a separate household, only one parent needs to fill out the FAFSA on behalf of the student. And all along, that's been the parent with whom the child resided with most within the last year. Going forward with the 24-25 year, it's going to be the parent who provides more than half of that child's support whether or not that is the custodial parent. So that's a really big change happening to the FAFSA. Um, However, it is going to be a very gray area um, because you know, it's it's going to be hard to really prove what, you know, which parent actually provides more hmm. than half support, but that's the guideline. So it seems like it's more about money. It's more about income uh, and, and financial support as opposed to how many nights that they're spending yes. at that particular house. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, talk to us about the, the timing delay. So not only are we getting an updated FAFSA this year, right? We're getting the, the yes. fewer questions, hopefully the easier to fill out FAFSA, um, but why are we talking December, right? Yeah. Is, uh, why are we talking months delayed? Yeah. What, what's what's going on there? Is that is it literally just the process of creating and and it takes time to release the updated version? It is because there's so many changes being made. They did intend to have this all completed by October 1st, but it's just been delayed just because of all the hoops they're jumping through and the changes that are being made. They just could not get it finalized in time. So there's a lot happening. The, the FAFSA is getting a major overhaul overhaul probably the biggest overhaul that it's ever received in its history mm. so that's why okay. uh, well so speaking of timing you say and we've talked touched on this before on the show before but it's important to go ahead and fill the fafsa out sooner rather than later can you explain to listeners why that's the case yes yeah, so with the fafsa it's kind of like the early bird gets the worm the earlier you get that filled out the more financial aid you can have access to. There are certain pools and let's say pockets of money that colleges have to offer and like once that money runs out, it runs out. So the earlier you get that FAFSA in, the better. Um, That's really what it comes down to. And there's also state deadlines for the FAFSA in order for students to be considered for state grants. Every state has their own deadline, so it's crucial that you look up and see what your state's deadline is and get it submitted before then. Gotcha. Is there ever the case where there's more money of it, like where it's the opposite, like uh, something comes on, comes along and all of a sudden there's an additional funding or, or something like that? Is that a... Not typically. Okay. No. <laughs> Early bird gets no. the worm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, lower income families who make less than 60000 they're going to be okay regardless no like with the, the, with the Pell Grant money because that's federal money that's always there. But that state grant money, you know, if they don't fill out the FAFSA before that deadline, they can miss out on it. 
Okay, uh, how onerous is it to actually fill out the FAFSA? It's it's obvious it's going to be easier this year once it gets released shortly. Yes. But um, how bad is it? I think people build it up in their minds, and this is probably why a lot of people avoid it. They're like that thing. No, I don't think I'll, I don't want to bludgeon myself in the face. So why would I fill out the FAFSA? Uh, like how how bad? How long is it actually going to take people to do? So right now with 108 questions, it takes a good hour or more going down to 38. I anticipate families are going to be able to get through this in less than 30 minutes. Nice. And there's going to be an automatic transfer of data that's happening from the IRS, kind of pre-populating information. So it's going to be quick and easy. Yeah. Is that the the DRT, the IRS? Yes. Data retrieval tool. Yeah. So it's like pulling in stuff that you would have otherwise had to manually enter in yourself? Yeah, like go and look at each tax line and put that information in. And that's been on the FAFSA for a few years, but they're streamlining it more this year. So it's going to be like an automatic and even smoother process. Nice. When I was reading about that, it made me think of like a credit card autofill on yeah. uh, when I'm in the browser. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like auto-populates. <laughs> yeah. and they, It just makes it so easy. <laughs> it, right? it, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And just as a reminder for folks as well, this, this isn't something you just do one time as you are applying to school. I think sometimes if you think, oh, okay, I'm applying to schools. Oh, okay, I'm filling out the FAFSA. It's easy to remember to do that, I guess, maybe that first year. But uh, do you ever run into situations where families forget mm -hmm. in subsequent years to actually fill out the FAFSA? Yes, and it's so important, you know, to make sure you're filling that out every single year, you know, because you can miss deadlines. You can miss, like, your state grant deadline and miss out on money that you might have otherwise received. So just right. set a reminder on your phone, yeah. whatever you need to do. Um, but yeah, fill it out every single year early. All right. Talk to us about like the children of the elite, like uh, Jeff Bezos's <laughs> kids and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like, does should Jeff Bezos fill out the FAFSA? Because <laughs> if like if we're talking about the FAFSA as being mostly about financial aid eligibility, why would someone who's making bank has a lot of financial assets? Why would they still take the time? Even the even the now reduced time frame that we're talking about, do they still need to actually go through this laborious or Right. Not so laborious process. So here's that, that's a great question. There are some scholarships that use the FAFSA to in order to determine whether or not students are going to receive the scholarship. They're few and far between, but really, honestly, the big reason for any like high income families to fill out the FAFSA would be if they want the student to be able to take the, a direct student loan in their own name, you know, to help you know have some skin in the game and help them pay for college because in order for a student to borrow a federal direct loan in their own name a FAFSA has to be filled out along with a federal parent plus loan so let's say a parent even though they have the money and the means they want to borrow a loan to pay for their child's education in order to take this parent loan they'd have to fill out a FAFSA form so those would really be you know the only reasons I would recommend a very wealthy um, family fill out the FAFSA. More of a psychological mindset yeah. kind of game. Right, right. But middle, middle and upper, all middle and upper middle income families should definitely fill out a FAFSA because very, at the very least, if they don't qualify for any need-based financial aid, like in scholarships or grants other than merit, um, then they can appeal their financial aid offers and ask for more money. You know, 80% of students who appeal their financial aid offers will receive additional aid. And a lot of families aren't aware of that. Nice. Well, we are going to talk a little bit more about appealing some of those aid, aid packages. We're going to talk more about the numbers and what goes into determining the kind of financial aid that you're going to get. And we'll get to all of that with Tina right after this. Mm -hmm. 
probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week at the beach every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simons on the calendar. Pump for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember, because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. All right, we're back. We're talking with Tina Steele. We're, we're talking about filling out the FAFSA. She's the, the FAFSA guru. I know. Joel. That, why do you think we had her on? <laughs> Matt, like, who, who else can we talk to about this? Uh, Tina, I guess I'm curious, like, while you're filling out the FAFSA form, is, is there any way to screw it up or to optimize your chances, maybe, let's say, of receiving financial aid from universities? Is there something that when you're actually answering the questions that you can do to either detract or impact your ability uh, you know, to, to get the kind of aid you're looking for? Joel wants to know if, if, if it's okay to lie. Right. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's really, you know, honestly, the biggest mistakes I see in this area, there's a couple. Um, one is when um, families are divorced or separated and they filed a joint re- 
joint tax return for the year prior. They um, put have the tax information sent over with both their and their spouse's income, which could really impact the amount of financial aid they get because they only need one parent's income mm. on the FAFSA. So that's a really, really big one. Um, and just to note on that, if that parent filling out the FAFSA is remarried, then they do take into consideration the step-parent's income oh, and, and asset so information, which, really... which is a bummer, too. So yeah. you might even want to plan oh your marriage according to when your kids are going off to school. I know, <laughs> right. No, it's true. Um, the other thing is, you know, reporting assets incorrectly. That's probably where I see the biggest mistakes made. And that's what it comes down to is mistakes. Because mm. the FAFSA asks for concrete, you know, figures from your tax form. There's really no way around getting around that. Um, there's a lot of information that families self-report. You know, how much money you have in your bank account, how much your your investments are worth. I mean, you're, you're self-reporting that information. But there's two assets in particular that don't have to be reported on the FAFSA, which is the the value of the primary home that you live in along with the value of your retirement accounts. Nice. A lot of times families accidentally report that as an investment and they can really miss out on financial aid. If that is something that someone does, are they able to go back and correct that? And how does that work if, if, uh, if you've made a mistake? Yes, once you realize you made a mistake, the first thing you'd want to do is log back into the FAFSA and click on make a correction okay. and just navigate to the section and, and do that and then make sure you resubmit it. If it's late in the year and like the student has already received their financial aid offer, then it's going to be important that the family reach out directly to the financial aid office to let them know okay. about the mistake after they make the at correction. the particular college that they're college. at. Gotcha. Yes. So selfishly, Matt and I, we're at, our our main goal is to get how to money listeners to save and invest more of their money, right? To to sock more money away into tax advantaged retirement accounts so that they have more. They're building wealth and they have more money in those retirement years. I guess. Uh, but what, one of the things that's true as well is that if you save more for retirement, you actually could potentially get a larger financial aid offer. Is that right? And is that truly just because you're reducing your previous year's adjusted gross income? No, and, and actually that's a little bit of um, misinformation that's out there in a way, because what's happened all along is even though you don't have to report the value of your retirement account, you have in the past had to report the dis um, contributions. So if you take like a big chunk of money and you put it towards your retirement account, that's actually counted as in untaxed income for the family for that year. However, that's changing for the 24-25 year, okay. so it, your question is going to be a little more accurate. They're not going to look at those contributions anymore. So yes, sheltering that money in a retirement account or paying down your mortgage on your primary home is going to be mm, the way okay. to go. And of course, this is only for colleges that require the FAFSA because the colleges that also require the CSS profile, which is a supplemental form, there are no assets that are protected. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So that's a, an, an entirely different yep. form. Yep. Is it a lot of private universities that... A lot of the private universities. Okay. Yeah. So that, you know, no, typically no public or state um, colleges require that. So should people proactively be searching out the CSS, filling that out just in case? Or is that something where if you get accepted to one of these schools then and they request it, that's when you fill it out? So the CSS opens the same, typically October 1st, like the FAFSA. So it's really important to know whether or not the college requires it when you go into the process because you want to get that done early, like in October. So it's kind of just like the FAFSA. You'd be initiating it yourself. You just you can do a simple Google search colleges that require the CSS profile and pull up an alphabetical list of all those colleges. 
and then you want to get that filled out along with the FAFSA. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, so to clarify, it sounds like with the new changes, by contributing to a pre-tax retirement account, you are effectively lowering lowering your AGI. And is is that the mechanism in which that could then allow you to receive more student aid? Is that how that works? Yeah. Um, so you are lowering your AGI, which definitely goes into the um, goes into the equation. But they do also look at your the income earned from each parent in addition so that they're going to look at like the wages salaries and tips on w-2s or the business income in addition to the agi so it can help because the the agi definitely will be differently but um i don't know that it helps quite as much as we would like it to but it definitely can gotcha that's good to know okay what about 529 plans because i feel like a lot of parents out there Maybe they're kind of, they've got like a two-year-old and they they know, they've heard about the 529. Oh, and in fact, the 529 plan got a little bit better yeah, uh, over flexible. the past couple of years because if you don't use it for education, you can kind of roll that into a Roth IRA. And so they, they do look more attractive, but I think there's a lot of folks who may not have really parsed through the details, I guess, and they're not totally sure how much that plan is going to offset the ability of that student to receive aid. Can you kind of shed some light there for folks? Yeah, so the value of a 529 plan is counted as a parent investment on the FAFSA, and the government expects that parents can contribute about 5.65% of their total asset value towards their child's education for the year. So 5.65% of whatever assets you know they own are going to be factored into that EFC or what's going to be called the student aid index um, next year. So the 529 is a great um, it is a great plan and you know the nice thing is as long as it's a parent owned um, 529 the distributions are not going to count against the student in any way as untaxed income. So it, it is a great way for parents to kind of start early investing for their child's education. Gotcha. And to clarify, you, that's total assets, not right. necessarily just the total investments plan. and assets that you have to report on the yeah. FAFSA. Right. So that's going that's going in there, factoring in if you have investment real estate, yes. what what you have in your taxable brokerage account. That kind of, it's all going into one thing, and it's like, all right, we expect you can pay five point six five percent of yes. that total. Yep. There's definitely more emphasis okay. being placed on wealth um, the upcoming year versus income. So anything that you have like that is going to impact you for sure. Okay. All right. Uh, let's talk about income. You mentioned that. It, has, it does have a lot to do with how much financial aid is offered, even though wealth is taking a bigger front row seat. But uh, for Mary couples filing jointly, and you briefly mentioned this number earlier, $60,000 AGI. That seems to be mm-hmm. kind of a line of demarcation, a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. Any advice maybe on how folks should pre-plan if they're close to that mark? Let's say somebody makes their their, their annual salary $68,000 a year, and you know that that 60000 AGI mark triggers additional benefits from a college financial aid perspective. It, are there kind of some tweaks they need to make, some ways they need to be thinking about kind of uh, maneuvering their income into that into that bracket? Yeah, I mean, if, if, what the, the 60,000 mark is, what that means is like an automatic zero EFC or F- SAI. So the, having a zero for that number means the student is going to qualify for like the maximum amount of financial aid. So that's not to say if they make 68,000 or 74,000 that the student is not going to get any need-based aid. What's going to happen is, you know, after 60,000 up until there's not really an actual cutoff because a number of things are taken into consideration, but let's just 
just say around 80 or 75 to 80,000. That free grant money the government offers than the state grant money is going to be prorated based on that income. So the, they may still qualify for some, but yeah, the, the closer to that $60,000 mark, families can keep it the better. Now, if they make 60,000, but they have a half a million dollars in assets or investments, it's kind of a moot point because that's really gonna drive up that, that EFC or student aid index. Mm. So yeah, and, and there's a question when you fill out the FAFSA, if you make less than 60,000 and you fill out a, a simple like tax return with no schedules, there's a question that asks if you wanna skip questions about your assets. However, if you fill out any schedules with your taxes, it doesn't allow you to skip the asset question, which means then you have to go in and report the investment. So that's where it can get some families also. Interesting. So what Joel really needs to do then when his daughter goes off to school is he needs to, well, first of all, I need to fire him uh, or, <laughs> <laughs> or drop him down to like a $40,000 salary. Which you're planning on yeah. doing anyway. And then he needs yeah. to not claim any deductions and not file any schedules so that he's able yes. to skip you know the big one is real estate like when you own sure. real estate other than your home you have to you, fill out certain schedules so yeah it's definitely. still there yeah you can't yep. yeah all right. All right. Let's talk about the Can't get around to Joel. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Yeah. It's one, I think there's ways you can play play to your advantage, but there's no way to necessarily game the system, right? And uh, right. Yeah. Right. But that's probably what people want. <laughs> like right. A, but that's that's where you know strategy comes in when, like we talked, we mentioned appealing financial aid offers and then scholarships, which I know we'll probably get into. Yeah. So. Yeah. Let's talk about aid offers because, you know, what if the school we want to go to doesn't make a compelling financial aid offer. You you mm -hmm. mentioned the appeal. Is that the main recourse? And I, you used the, the, you said 80% success rate for financial aid appeals? Yep. For, for the students, um, from what I've seen, 75 to 80% are you know successful in, in getting some additional aid. I've seen it range anywhere from $3,000 all the way up to $30,000. Wow, so, okay, so there's that's a couple of substantial. Yeah, so there's a couple of pieces of information. There's one thing that families can do um, that can help them get additional aid, and that is they can report what's called special circumstances. So for example, the FAFSA, the 24-25 FAFSA is gonna be based on 22 income. Maybe that a parent or a student lost a job in 23, so their 23 income is gonna be a lot less. Or maybe their 22 income was inflated due to like a one-time source of income, such as a retirement distribution or a capital gain. Or maybe their significant medical or dental expenses. Those are all things that are considered special circumstances that students and families can actually report directly to the college financial aid offices. Mm. They're gonna have them fill out a form and then they can actually recalculate the financial aid offer based on this new information. Okay. So that's a big one for any families that fall into that category. And then for families that don't, who just get this offer that you know is not enough, they can write a financial aid appeal letter, usually within a couple of weeks of receiving that offer, and humbly ask the financial aid office for additional aid um, they can use other financial aid offers they receive from other colleges that are better. And it, it really just comes down to the college. Some colleges hmm. have a very clear policy and they will not accept financial aid appeals unless a student has special circumstances, whereas other colleges will accept financial aid appeals regardless. So it, it depends. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so it's, it's not like you can, it's, it's really hard to compare apples to apples because of mm -hmm. the way that these different colleges that their estimates work, right? And, and mm -hmm. even when it comes to the FAFSA, like there, there are different calculators online, but it seems like that those aren't all that accurate 
compared to maybe the calculator of a specific school is is that accurate right yeah the net price calculators on the college websites are the way to go and the those aren't always accurate either but the more in-depth the net calculator is the more questions that they ask the, the more accurate they typically tend to be that makes okay. sense all right and, and you i think you even have like classes where you teach people how to write a good appeal letter and yes. and you basically say that the the worst they could say is no so if you, you maybe you waste 30 minutes an hour of your time writing a good appeal letter and, right. but the worst they say is no so okay cool that but the best it's they can so do case scenario thirty thousand right. dollars i mean you got that back seriously. right so yeah, what are the strategies then to maybe write the most effective appeal letter so really, you know, there's a term, a lot of other professionals, professionals, excuse me, in the field, you'll see them use the, the term negotiate. I steer clear from that term. You know, when you're appealing to a financial aid director, you want to come across as humble. There are mm. a lot of circumstances in families that aren't necessarily reflected on the FAFSA, such as the cost of living where a family lives, or maybe extra expenses in the household related to a, a child who has disabilities, or maybe you're helping support elderly parents, mm -hmm. or maybe you're just, you know, on your income as a family of four, you don't have enough disposable income left over to pay, you know, this, this money. So you're really just asking them, you're kind of pulling anything in you can that might apply to you based on, you know, your, your financial situation, cost of living, where you live, anything that you know, would not be reflected in the FAFSA. And also, you know, adding a paragraph in there about why this college is the first choice college, how important it is to the student. What is it about this college? What is the student going to bring to the table, you know, on campus? Um, and then you just ask. Nice. And like I said, you know, the worst they're going to say is no. <laughs> so make that subjective appeal, why it is that mm -hmm. you want to go there. But then it almost sounds like you're not necessarily saying to like grovel, but but maybe kiss the right. ring like <laughs> yes <laughs> okay. yes it makes a difference i used to work in the financial aid offices reviewing the appeal letters uh -huh. so it, it really can make a difference all right nice i like your your speak again this is why we're talking with you tina you've got just so much ex experience um with lots of different institutions okay i'm curious to hear your thoughts like do you recommend for folks to go ahead and just choose the college that they go to based on the package they receive or do you take a good offer and then basically you're armed with that information and then if there's another school that you really want to go to, is it about presenting that information in a compelling way and seeing if you can get them to to mm -hmm. juice their packages yeah what would you say there yeah the best thing to do is you know get all the financial aid offers back they're all going to provided you're applying like you know regular decision all of them regular decision or all of them early action you're going to be getting these offers back all around the same time so compare and contrast there's always a top choice that students have and it, it never fails that the top choice is always the most expensive financially um and the, they get the least amount of financial aid so yes you know use use um, the other offers and what your bottom line might be at those other colleges in terms of affordability in that humble financial aid appeal letter that you write with the hopes they're going to come back and at least you know make it so it's more affordable it really comes down to families and what their bottom line is what they can afford and um, what they're willing you know to take on for debt because that's that's another thing that i i hate to see students get riddled with yeah. significant debt for sure obviously that's become a massive problem in our society and 
and so I guess you're saying use some of those data points. Don't don't be afraid to say, hey, actually, in that appeal letter, maybe, well, this other school, great school, they've offered me this, but this is my number one choice. And if you could, mm-hmm. if you could somehow get close to that, that would really make yes. it possible for me to go here. Yeah, that's exactly what we did. Um, my stepson did, and that's you know how he got a much better offer at the college he really wanted to go to. So. It works, and I, work, I help families with it all the time. That's great. I love it. All right, uh, Tina, we got a few more questions to get to uh, with you, including what about grad students? How does yeah. the FAFSA and you know getting additional financial help for grad school, how can we go about doing that? We'll get to that and more right after this. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you to get there? Well, there are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. What about that dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, your health and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org wisefriend. I'm guessing that a lot of listeners are starting to solidify their summer travel plans. We always like to get the families together, Matt, for a week yeah, at the we beach do. every single summer. We've already got that trip to St. Simon's on the calendar. Pumped for that. But sometimes those vacations get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? That's right. Why let it sit empty when it could be earning extra income? It's the financially smart thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you've got some extra space in your home, or maybe you have an entire house to host. Or maybe you're just going on vacation and your home is sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you have two options. You can let it just sit there empty, or you do some optimizing and make some money off it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. are back from the break talking with the FAFSA guru. We're talking with Tina and Tina. So I don't have any kids in college, so I'm definitely not even 
thinking about grad school or like getting even higher levels. I um, am because my wife's in grad school uh, right oh, now. That's though. right. Yeah, yeah, you are. So, oh, nice. Is there is there like a is there a, a special FAFSA for grads uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> if you're going to get your master's? Sure. How does that work? What are what are some of the different changes that we've seen uh, regarding that? So as well? it's the same FAFSA for graduate students. They just be filling it out as an independent student and not needing their parent information. And the big thing with graduate students is financial aid becomes more limited. Graduate students typically are eligible to borrow up to $20,500 a year in a federal direct student loan that's not based on credit. It's a guaranteed. The government offers it to them to help them pay for their education. And they can also borrow graduate plus loans to help make up any additional costs like above and beyond that $20,000 a year mark. But in terms of the free money, that's more limited. Um, Graduate students can apply for like graduate assistantships through different academic departments at the college where they can do some work and actually receive money towards their tuition or off their tuition or in the form of a paycheck. And then of course there are a lot of scholarships out there that that graduate students can apply for. Um, But the FAFSA is really for that federal direct loan for graduate students of that amount. Okay, so if you need to take out loans, we are we have been paying cash so far. Hope to continue, hope to, continue to do that for my wife's uh, graduate school education. But yeah, scholarships, it's honestly something I hadn't thought. Like I remember applying for scholarships when I was going off to get my undergrad, but I hadn't really thought about it for some reason. It hadn't dawned on me until I was like thinking, thinking about it, thinking about our conversation with you. And I was like, wait a second, we could totally look up some scholarships for my wife's particular major, uh, the direction she's heading in, and and send out some applications, which we haven't done yet. But now I'm going to get going. Talk to me about scholarships because it, it, I guess in the other on the other side of the equation, they can sound nice, but some it feels like you put in a lot of effort for this one-off mm. attempt, and maybe there's one scholarship available or five one thousand dollars scholarships available, and you don't really know how many how much competition you've got and stuff like that. So it. Should we be filling out applications for scholarships? And if so, is there kind of a best way to go about it? I think it's worth it. This is where I see a lot of students leave money on the table. You know, it is true. Searching and applying for scholarships can be a a bit tedious, especially because a lot of the applications require essays and things like that. But the students who are doing it consistently throughout the year, like maybe they're applying for a few each and every month, are the ones that are going to get the the most bang for their buck. And scholarships that are like $3,000 and less tend to be not as competitive as other scholarships. So those are always good ones to focus on. You know, when you're focusing on those big 20, 30, $40,000 scholarships, so are a lot of other students. So there's gonna be a ton of competition. But really with scholarships, it's it's so important to just be consistent, you know, do a lot of specific Google searching with like terms, you know, multiple terms, not just, you know, like scholarships for high school students pursuing engineering or, you know, scholarships for graduate students pursuing education and then maybe even add to that who live in, you know, Portland, Maine. So the more search terms you can put, the more you'll kind of narrow down um, some good scholarship opportunities like locally, which which is always good. I I always recommend checking with uh, your state higher education agency. Every state has one of these agencies and a lot of students aren't aware of this and they house scholarship information specifically for residents of their state. Mm -hmm. So that's 
a really great place to look um, that a lot of people aren't aware of. And then once you're admitted in college, make sure you check with the actual academic department that you're admitted into because they have a whole resource listing of scholarships specifically for students at their college studying whatever it is you know that you're studying. Um, there's some great websites out there. There's so many that you can actually get overwhelmed, mm -hmm. but a, a couple of my favorites are scholarships.com. They have a really great directory, um, search directory feature where you can search specifically based on certain criteria such as, you know, your grade level or um, academics or what you're studying or abilities. And then myscholly.com, M-Y-S-C-H-O-L-L-Y.com. They do charge like $7.99 a month, but it's really worth it. I've, I've seen students have a lot of success on, on both of these sites. Okay. Yeah, it, um, it, it yeah. would seem to me, too, that when you think about as a student, not, not that maybe you shouldn't have a high school job or something like that, but if you're thinking, oh, I'm probably going to get paid 10 or $11 an hour doing the high school job, and you factor it in and you think, I'm going to spend... 40 hours, which is 400 bucks that I would make, uh, and, and instead put that towards potentially getting yes. these scholarships, your hourly rate could balloon <laughs> by oh. going after scholarships instead of going and working the regular job. It could really, yeah, I recommend an hour to an hour and a half a week. So if you think about it, like five hours, five hours a month searching and applying for scholarships, you could easily apply for three to five scholarships a month that way. And you know, if you're consistent, I know it can be frustrating when you don't hear back, but it's just those students that apply for a handful of them, you're, they're just not being, they're not applying for enough. You know, you just have to be in there doing it regularly. Very nice. And yeah, it's definitely worth doing yeah. that versus. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, your minimum wage job or, and yeah. there are yep. certainly yep. skills to be gained when you are working outside of the home and you've got a direct boss as opposed to, I, I mm. almost see scholarships as like this, it's like an on-ramp to entrepreneurship where it's just like, oh, I get to choose the jobs that I want. And sure, I guess it's also up to you as to what the chances are of you actually winning one of the, some of those scholarships. Uh, but there obviously right. is something additional to the dollars that you gain yeah. from working outside it's like the, of the more home. proactive of and go-getter you are you're gonna the yeah, more you're gonna crush you your scholarships. The possibility yeah the potential yeah. to totally yeah. kill it when it comes to, to scholarships. Oh, absolutely yeah I've seen a number of students do that for Very, sure. so do you, do you have any other sort of like outside of the box recommendations to help folks to avoid that ever-increasing pile of student loans that our, our nation is burdened with uh, where folks out there can kind of try to attempt to bring down the cost of college? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's so tough. Um, you know, every college allows you to set up like a payment plan, which if you do owe a balance after financial aid, I always tell families, make a monthly payment plan over 10 months out of pocket, the maximum that you can afford to really kind of you know, um, minimize that, you know, debt. Also, students can begin applying for scholarships as, I mean, they have scholarships for young students, but a lot of them start at the age of 13. So high school students, every single year they're in high school can be applying wow. okay. for these scholarships. And then once they, you know, they hit college, they can apply every year they're in college. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, make that like a part, like I said, five hours a month. Okay. All right, Tina, last question for you. You have a current high school senior, your last one, is is there anything you're doing that you haven't shared with us or in our audience yet that like we need to know about? Anything that I'm doing with her. Don't hold back. Give us question. the good stuff. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you know, I think we just have those really hard conversations in our house about what, you know, what 
we're willing to spend and what the bottom line is and and if you want this particular college and we get this financial aid like you've got to have some skin in the yep. game like be applying for those scholarships you know um and and that i my daughter is definitely doing that like i i work with parents of high school seniors every single year in a group coaching program and i, I this is i preach I preach this, but the reality is, you know, high school seniors are so busy with everything else. Um, I think in my house, that's that's really what we're doing. Um, the outside scholarships and then the financial aid appeal is a big strategy. Nice, I love it. It's so important to have those those honest, straightforward conversations. And sounds like you've had a you've had some practice and yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not just a one off combo either. By the way, yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. That's so important as opposed to it being this thing that feels like you're tiptoeing around and all of a sudden, oh, surprise, no, this is going to be debt that you're going to be saddled right. with. This isn't something that we're willing to take on. These are conversations that have to start early. And I love hearing that there are 13-year-olds who are also eligible for scholarships as well. I think that's huge. Yeah. But Tina, thank you so much for talking with us. We'll make sure to, to link to the fafsaguru.com. That's your website. Mm -hmm. You offer one-on-one -on -one help with uh, with families who are looking for maybe some additional help as well. Is that right? I do. I do consulting. I also, my signature program is my Financial Aid Academy, a group coaching program I run every single year for parents of high school seniors. Um, enrollment is still open for seniors for the class of 2024 because the FAFSA is opening late, um, where I kind of guide families through the whole process and help them maximize their financial aid offers. And then I have a membership program for parents of high school students to kind of get them ready for college um, in some standalone digital courses. And the consulting and I offer a free 10-minute consult call for anybody that I've never worked with before. Very cool. That's great. Tina, thank you so much yeah. for joining us on the show today. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. All right. I feel like Tina knocked it out of the park when it came to answering all the FAFSA questions we had. Yeah, Joel, would right. you expect anything less? No. Not <laughs> if, if you call yourself the guru, I expect guru -ness. You better know your stuff. That's right. <laughs> we covered a lot regarding the FAFSA. Did you, did you have a specific takeaway, a big takeaway from today's episode? Yeah, I did. And she didn't say it exactly like this, but it's something you and I have talked about a lot on the show in the past is don't be afraid to ask for a discount. And oh, because yeah. like when you ask, truly, so much of the time, you're able to get one. Uh, but so many people just haven't exercised that muscle. They're kind of afraid to approach that conversation. They're worried about the the stank eye that they're going to get for somebody <laughs> if they do end up, if they make that request. Most of the time, you don't get the stink eye. Uh, maybe every once in a while. Most of the time, either you're going to get told no, which who cares? Like walk away be like, all right, thank you anyway. Uh, or other times, you might get quite a bit of money back. And in the case of appealing a, a, a student aid offer, it can be thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. And so yep. it's one of those things where uh, it's kind of like that Geico commercial, like 15 minutes will save you whatever percent. 15 minutes or 30 minutes of, of doing this appeal could save you thousands. And so it's it's you're silly. You're really silly. You're leaving money on the table uh, if if you don't. Absolutely. Yeah. And be humble. When I love you, that too. When, yeah. you, when you do make that request, which was so good, because again, having with her, having been on the receiving end of things, she has seen how this works. And I think it's what a part of what makes Tina so effective at, at what she does, because she has been on the inside. Yeah. And it's important to mention that there are humans reading them, right? Yeah. These, these are not just number crunching AI bots. These are these are human people with real emotions. And so if you can uh, if you can speak to that sense, like, hey, love mm -hmm. the school, blah, blah, 
blah, blah. And, and you know, this would mean so much to our family. And oh my goodness, what I, I, I had the color because the color matters to the, to the end person who's actually doing the reading. Yeah. Cause they're, it, this is the difference between them letting you in and you've got an awesome story and you've made a, a just incredibly convincing argument as to why it is you want to go to that school or somebody else who just says, please re- reconsider. Yeah. <laughs> like, who would you go with? Uh, and when you are working for an hi- a higher education institution like that, you want folks who are able to provide vibrance. And you're going to be looking to folks who are willing to lean in to push back a little bit because those are the folks who yeah. get stuff done. But And, uh, and I don't want to oversimplify it. But- it could be something like that, right? And they're like, we've got an extra five grand. Which one do we give it to? And so, yeah, write your letter accordingly. Matt, what was your big takeaway from this combo, though? So mine's going to be 5.65% because that is the percentage of the parental assets that are taken into account when it comes to FAFSA determining uh, student aid. Not necessarily, not specifically because that money is set aside within a 529 account, but, well, fact is, all of your assets are taken into account. And I think sometimes folks can have maybe this roadblock to setting some of that money aside because they think, well, every dollar I stick in there is a dollar that I'm not going to receive via student aid, via financial aid. Well, that's not that's not the case. That's not how it works. Uh, And so I just want to put that out there because I think that can help to put a lot of folks at ease as to whether or not they see the amount that they've got saved in cash go in the bank, go up by ten thousand dollars or whether or not they, you know, a five twenty nine account goes up. Whether that goes up by ten thousand uh, dollars, either way, you're looking at five point six five percent, and I think that number specifically can just uh, yeah provide a lot of relief for mm-hmm. some folks out there. But uh, let's introduce our beer. You and I, we enjoyed a Blue Crab Special Reserve. Sounds like a very fancy beer. Yeah, it does. Uh, this is another one by Other Half. Uh, it's a double dry hopped Imperial IPA. What were your thoughts, buddy? All right, so my phrase to describe this one is creamy pineapple hop basket and i feel like it's pretty accurate right what do you think pretty good i second all those descriptors okay all right (laughs) well yeah no just absolutely delicious ipa from you know one of the breweries that makes some of the finest in the land so massively impressed with this one and i guess they have a regular blue crab but this is the special reserve and so this is this is like the fancy version of the original beer which i'm sure is already delightful so so um, good yeah yeah, it's got those those herbal elements from the hops, and you just get that with some of these dry hopped hazies. Of course, this isn't a beer by other half that includes a name of a vegetable like they oftentimes do, but it's totally got those same vibes going on. Yeah. Uh, it is so fantastic. And again, a massive thanks to Jason for uh, donating this, plus all the other other half beers yeah. here to the podcast. Appreciate you, Jason. Thank yeah. you very much. And Matt, that's going to do it for this one. And we'll put links to some of the resources that we mentioned during Mm -hmm. this podcast up on our website at howtomoney.com. That's right. FastaGuru.com, scholarships.com, MyScholly. Those were uh, were Tina's two favorite sites for scholarships specifically. Yeah. Make sure to link to those. All that stuff and more up there. You can also sign up for the How to Money newsletter at howtomoney.com slash newsletter. If you haven't signed up for that yet, you uh, you should missing, be ashamed of yourself. You're out. You should be ashamed, but you can write <laughs> that ship right now, so please do. All right, Matt, that's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com.